All right, well again, welcome, and uh, I'm really glad that we could be here together this morning and to get into God's Word. We're going to continue in our study in the Gospel of John. Let me just say that um, I'm so very thankful, I truly am, to be here in this church serving the Lord with you. I'm so thankful for all um, our missionary partners, are you not thankful for them as well, and the things that they do to serve the Lord and the opportunity that we have to be a part of their lives, and so um, that's just an exciting thing that we have, but truly, um, the, the body of Christ is a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing place where really all kinds of people can meet together, and really with that thought, I, I kind of work into what we're going to see today in the message, because if you look at the cast of people that associate themselves around the Lord Jesus Christ, um, in, in the words of a very wise individual who said to me one time, it takes all kinds of people to make this world. And there's all kinds of people that follow the Lord Jesus Christ and that are in his crowd. And, and, and never is it maybe more illustrated than in this passage that we have in front of us in John chapter 13. Uh, before we get to John chapter 13, though, I'm just going to kind of get your mind focused around this whole idea because when we look across the church of Jesus Christ, not just this one, anyone, anywhere you go, people that name the name of Christ, it, it, it's kind of baffling just to think of all the different expressions that come out of it. And, and certainly not that we would expect everybody to think and act and behave just as we do because there's cultural differences all over this world and, and that's just a beautiful thing how different people can do that. But, but, but let's just be honest. Sometimes people name the name of Jesus Christ and they're just out there. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's just some folks that are just out there and, and it makes you wonder, I mean, really? I, I, we're connected under the same umbrella. I don't I just don't get it. I just don't understand how all that plays out. And, and, and if you were to look with me, and if, if you've already found John chapter 13, keep your finger there, but look back in Matthew chapter 13. I just want to read very quickly a very uh, short parable, one of the parables in Matthew 13. It starts in verse number 24, where Jesus says this. He says in verse 24, Matthew 13, Another parable put he forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept... His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst, didst thou uh, not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you to get together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And, and, and I point this out to point out um, what we're going to see in John 13 as we look at Jesus Christ revealing, probably for the first time in front of his disciples, that the one who will betray him is a specific individual that had been with them the whole time. There was a tear among the wheat. And the Lord made it very clear that just let them grow up together for a time. Eventually there'll be a day, a day of judgment, when those things will all be separated. And so in this story we have Jesus sitting at supper 
with his 12 disciples. He's in the last days before his crucifixion is, is coming. And, and what we will see in this story are three categories of people that are in this crowd, okay? And, and they associate themselves certainly with Jesus for maybe some various different reasons. So uh, with that in mind, look now with me in John 13. We'll, we'll read together starting in verse number 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. There was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it was be of whom he spake. Then he then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him, for some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. And so this introduction of hey, Judas is the one who's going to betray me. Just an amazing, amazing thought that that could even happen is really the introduction to what I will draw out three different types of people that we find in this crowd. Some are fakes, some are friends, and some are followers. So let's just wrap our minds around that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at the text in more detail. Father, we come to you now just asking you to Help us to see in your word what you would have us to see. I, I pray that as we examine these lives of some of these individuals, three in particular, that we can make the application to understand maybe where we're at, maybe where we need to be, maybe help to just understand what's going on in life around us when sometimes it doesn't make sense why things happen the way they happen and why behavior takes place the way that it does sometimes. And I, I pray, God, that through this very difficult passage in the sense that how, how could it be that one as Judas spent so much time with you and yet turned on you, um, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us insight, and that you would help us to firmly understand who we are in you and to firmly contend that that will never be us. We will stand with you forever. Lord, teach us now, I pray, in your name I pray. Amen. Well, the first thing we're talking about fakes, and obviously that is represented by Judas Iscariot. He is the one who is the betrayer. He's obviously identified. That's no, uh, nothing new. That is the primary focus of this passage. We'll look at the other two categories in just a minute. Uh, it starts off in verse number 18. It's a continuing context from the first 17 verses. He says, I speak not of you all. And the context, if you were with us last week, goes back to verse number 11 where he's talking to Peter and he's doing the foot washing and, and he says that you're all clean, but not all of you. 
because he knew the one that was going to betray him. And we saw last week that ye are all clean is the cash equivalent, ye are all saved. You are all true believers in me, except for Judas. He's never really been a real, true disciple of mine. He's never really surrendered himself fully to me. And so the, the, the thing that he says, I speak not of you all, literally refers to that reference of being clean back in, uh, in verse number 11. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this thing, it just blows me away to think, can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine Judas in the midst of just 12 men walking with Jesus Christ for all these years and experiencing all the things that they experienced together and they would have had fellowship with each other while following the Savior all this time and then Judas turns out to be a traitor? He turns out to be this, this turncoat that it's just unthinkable. And that's exactly what we see. Judas indeed was a traitor. He says, one of you shall betray me. And the thing I want you to see in verse number 19, it says, now I tell you before it come that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. This, this betrayal was prophesied, okay? And he quotes a, a passage there in Psalms chapter 41, but the idea of it being prophesied, that Jesus says, look, I'm telling of it to you before it come to pass. It, it even it was talked about in the Old Testament. He says, look, just don't be surprised when it happens. And, and can I just tell you that if in the course of daily life and serving the Lord and, and doing what we do for him, from among our midst on occasion, somebody pops up who turns their, turns their back on Jesus and becomes very negative to the point Judas even sold him out to the enemies to ultimately then be crucified. If you ever come across some very strange behavior, somebody once named the name of Christ and now they're very antagonistic, can I just tell you, don't be surprised. We pray and we hope that never happens, but indeed, the Lord says, look, I told you ahead of time. This has actually been prophesied. And can I remind you also that anytime God prophesies things, in other words, what is prophecy? Prophecy literally is when God tells the future before it happens. Do you realize that Bible prophecy it is really proof of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's proof that God is God because only God can know the end from the beginning, it says in the book of Isaiah. He is the one who understands it all before it ever happens. Only God can predict all the details of the future before they come to pass. And the fact that there is prophecy in a sense, should be reassuring. In fact, it should be, as he alludes to in verse number 19 there, that it's to the intent that you might believe. It should enhance your faith when you begin to see the things of the Scriptures full, uh, unfold in your daily life. When you see things happen in your daily life that are prophesied, it shouldn't disturb you. You should be able to say, ah, okay, God had that, he had that figured out, and I, I see it happening before my very eyes. One of the issues that's uh, in, um, in the news all the time and in front of us uh, daily is, is this uh, constant battle. It's in, before the Congress, and, and, and there's constantly laws and, and uh, referendums up for vote in, in all the states about uh, gay marriage, same-sex marriage, homosexuals and their rights and the rights that they should have in our society. And, and, and this people group are more, ever more emboldened to stand and to scream that they must have these rights as, as they should have them in, in, in the context of human rights. But the Bible says very clearly that as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And although we 
wouldn't agree with those stands of same-sex marriage and those sort of things on a biblical basis. At the same time, we can look at the prophecy of the Scripture and Jesus Christ Himself said that as it was in the days of Lot, if you know anything about Lot, he lived in the town called Sodom, right, which was primarily known for this wicked, evil, immoral, homosexual behavior. And as that becomes more, and it was so outwardly evident and manifest in the days of Lot, As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be when the Son of Man will be revealed from heaven. And so all that does is it confirms to us when these things are becoming more and more frequent, more and more widespread, it's prophetic. It should enhance your faith to understand that the Bible is being played out right in front. You don't have to like it, but God said it, and it's absolutely sure. And that's something that that can encourage you. If you went to Mark's version, it's in actually chapter 14 of this same story. And in Mark's version of the same story, Jesus says that, that somebody's going to betray me, but he says, woe unto him. In fact, it would be better for the one who's going to betray me if he had never been born. It would be better for him, think about that, if he had never been born. Why is that? Well, because now that he's been born, he's got an eternal soul. He's going to live forever. He's betrayed him. Satan himself enters Judas, Right? His eternity is in a burning lake of fire. If he'd never been born, he would not have an eternity in a burning lake of fire. That would be better, right? It's better for all human beings, actually, who do not receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior. It would have been better had they never been born than to be born and then live their life without Christ. It's that important. And so Judas is a guy, and, 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 the, and the Lord just, I mean, he reveals this thing, he, he, I mean, he chose him. We're going to get to that in a second, but he started out okay. I mean, Judas started out with everybody else in the crowd, following the Lord and doing all the things that they did. Judas had a good beginning. When Jesus called out all his disciples, he called out Judas with the other 11, did he not? I mean, he chose him. But By the way, if, if you find yourself getting confused sometimes, about some of the teaching that goes on around here. We've talked about Reformed theology and election and predestination and some of those kinds of things. Did J- Jesus elected to have Judas in his midst, did he not? He called him to be one of his, but yet he turned out to be a devil. Don't, don't allow some of those things to confuse you. I, I want you simply to see that he started out okay, but he didn't finish well. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about his life. He, he served with the other disciples for three and a half years. That would be about the, the time of Jesus' earthly ministry. From the time he was baptized in Jordan until this time of the Passover, it would be about three and a half years of his earthly ministry. And he was with him through all that time. He would have been with him through all the miracles and all the supernatural things that he did. He would have been with him for all the amazing teaching. He would have been with him in that time of, of unique fellowship when they were just together. He would have been together with him with all of them as they would have prayed and and he would have just been exposed he was literally exposed to god in human flesh for all that time that's a pretty good start that's a pretty good start and he spent all that time with him and yet somehow or another he never got it he never really got it uh, one of the passages of scripture is very very formative in my life is in matthew 7 21 to 23, where it says, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and it goes on and talks about all the wonderful 
things that they have done in Christ's name. Lord, haven't we done all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And so it's not just an issue that you got the right crowd. It's not just an issue that you go to some of the right places. It's not just an issue that that you call yourself a certain name and you associate yourself with a certain group of people. There has to be a real personal relationship with the Savior, and that's something that Judas obviously never actually had. Among those 12 disciples, Judas was trusted. He may have been one of the most trusted of all the 12 disciples because he was the one who was allowed to keep the bag. He kept the money. And all of the needs and all of the things that needed to be taken care of, listen, you know as well as I do, you don't just give the cash to anybody, right? I mean, the guy that you're going to give the money to make sure that you have the supplies you need to do what you need to do has to be somebody who's trustworthy. Is that not true? If he's not, then you won't have very much money very long. And uh, Judas was that guy, to the point where even after it's revealed, the, the disciples are confused, like, I wonder why he's going out. I, I wonder if he needs to go buy something for us. I wonder if Jesus wanted him to donate to the poor. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he was definitely one of the trusted ones. I mean, he was there. But let me just tell you something. Money's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, here it is. We're in a church service, and, and, and please don't leave early because after I'm done preaching, we receive the offering. I mean, it's at the end, and, you know, stay, please. Uh, but money's a funny thing, right? And, and, and I've, I've said this before, but it's almost like there's this designed connection between the heart of man and the wallet. I, there's just a connection that, you know, is kind of weird. And, and people, good people, I mean, God-fearing people, sometimes they just they figure out ways to justify in their heart and their mind why to not obey the Lord in financial things. And that's not the message today. All I want to say is, is that, as it says in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. And there is this slippery slope that there's something about money that is just a challenge to our hearts. And that's why the Lord wants us to give it away. He wants us to invest in his kingdom. That's why he wants us to do that because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And there's something about how you are stewards of the money that God has allowed you to have that that demonstrates the real love that you have for the Father. And if you can't seem to handle your money in a God-honoring way, then you may want to take some inventory of your heart. Interestingly, that Judas did not actually have his heart connected to the Lord, but somehow he was associated with the money. He sells out. He leverages his position among the disciples to ultimately sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And and there are people in churches today that leverage their position among Christian believers in order to profit personally, financially. Probably the most heinous of all are many of those who preach this false gospel of prosperity and saying if you will only give, then God will give back to you and and all that stuff goes on and it's very convenient to preach that in a wealthy nation like the United States but in impoverished nations, it's very attractive but it never plays out because it's not the true gospel and so people go away disappointed thinking God is powerless because I did not get wealthy And, and yet those preachers who do that are very wealthy they live very lavish lives, and, and that's, that's terrible, terrible. It's, it's exactly this application of how this thing plays out. But can I just offer to you for consideration that there's people who show up in churches every week all around this world, and let's just say in the more wealthy nations like in North America, 
that literally join the role of churches in order to enhance their business contacts. Uh, they they want to be able to make contacts and pass out their business cards and be able to encourage the other members of the church to use their business instead of somebody else's business and all that kind of stuff. And, and don't take this, to what I'm saying, too far, but the, the truth of the matter is if you're here for any other reason than to worship the Lord and to learn from Him and to grow with Him, uh, your motives are suspect. Your motives are suspect. They really are. And, and so that's what we see. It says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 19, a verse well worth committing to memory or at least understanding where it is and what it says, where the same human author John records in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. You see, he tells us again, there are people who would, will have continued with us for a period of time, but then they go out. Judas went out, right? They go out to ultimately make it. We're shocked. How is that possible? I knew that guy. We served together. We prayed together. We loved God together. We did things together. And now they're just gone. What happened? Well, God knows ultimately, and it's not mine to judge, but he warns us that there will be people in that category, does he not? He warns that there will be people that go out from us, but they were never truly of us. He says, because if they were truly of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest. In other words, that it may become evident to all of us that actually they never never really were of us. And you know what? Here's the application. The test of genuine discipleship, it's how you finish. It's how you finish. It's not how you start. You go through all the Scripture, and over and over and over again, we hear stories and we read stories of people who were followers of God for some period of time. And how they finished ultimately determines kind of God's last words about them. If you took the time and looked in Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter that lists all these Old Testament characters and how they live by faith, what a wonderful chapter. A lot of them had rough beginnings, but they finished strong. And yet there's others in the Bible who had a really good start, but they crashed and burned. King Saul would be a great example. Solomon is a great example. People that started out very strong but crashed and burned before it was over. And God looks at our lives, not that we have to endure to the end in order to be saved, but there's something about genuine transformation that puts something in our hearts. We are new creatures and we will persevere. We will continue. It's not that people don't fall out and are carnal for a time and then maybe they repent and come back. It's not that you never have difficulty. But the fact of the matter is a true, born-again, regenerated child of God can never just turn their back on it all and walk away. You just can't. And if you can, pray that you're not in that category from Matthew 7. Pray that you're not a fake because it's a scary thing. Jesus sent Judas out of that group in verse 27, did he not? Jesus said, what you do, do quickly, and he, and, he, and he went out. I, I, you know, 
Once in my life a long time ago, I, I sort of jokingly volunteered as though I was going to do the work of the Holy Spirit and figure out what everybody's really doing with God or not. You know what I mean? Very immature position I took a long time ago. I say that only to say it's not, it's not my job to judge. It's not my job to know every detail of what's going on in everybody's heart. But on the basis of what we're seeing with fakes in the crowd and people just disappear for different reasons and Jesus sent Judas out, how can you really know what's going on when somebody leaves? How, how can you know if maybe, maybe the Lord sent them out to preserve the ones that remain? You don't know. You don't know. It's a possibility, is it not? Isn't that what we saw? One thing I do know when they leave, Jesus doesn't chase them. He doesn't chase them. He gives them the truth. He loves them. He welcomes them. He says, come. But when they leave, he doesn't chase them. He lets them go. Because every man has to decide in their heart what they're going to do. So Judas is a wolf in sheep's clothing. You've heard that term probably. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That, that passage comes from Matthew chapter 7 also, verses 15 and 16. And really the context is false teachers. Okay, but the thing that I glean from Matthew 7, 15, and 16 about wolves in sheep's clothing, obviously the sheep are the true believers in Jesus Christ. A wolf is the enemy, but he's dressed like a sheep. He looks as though he's a sheep, but really on the inside he's not. And ultimately Jesus says this about him. He says, you'll know them by their fruit. Have you, if you've been in church any length of time and you've known people that have you know, hung around for a while and then all of a sudden they just disappear, and a lot of you probably know people like that, and I'm not trying to conjure up thoughts of individuals I'm, as a principle I'm just trying to point out the fact I've seen this far too many times I've been doing this for a long time people that just disappear and seemingly never land again on their feet if you took the time if you knew them well enough and you took the time and you go back and you kind of analyze how their life has played out while they were among us probably not much if any fruit of evangelism and soul winning probably little if any lasting fruit of discipleship is that not really all we're called to do is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations that's what we're called to do so win people to the lord jesus christ and grow them up in their faith so that they can continue to do that as well and people who just never seem to get around to opening their mouth and winning anybody to jesus christ people who never seem to get around to training and teaching anybody else to grow up in their faith well the bible says a tree is known by its fruit that's what it says and he warns us ahead of time that there will be Judases. Please don't, please don't take this day to look around you and think in, in your mind you know who it is because I promise things are not as they seem. I promise they're not as they seem, right? The thing that you probably need to see most of all, that's interesting. Well, associated with this wolf in sheep's clothing thing, I put it in your notes this way. You, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. So you look at fruit, fruit of reproduction. The life of Christ in me is now reproduced in the life in another individual. If I have some real life to share, then there's something maybe that can be reproduced in the life of another individual. It's anybody can stand up and teach facts. There's a lot of very intelligent Bible teachers that are not saved. 
You can study a book. You can study information. It's not difficult to teach information. You teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Your children are like you. That's just how it works. That's how it works in physical life. That's how it works in spiritual life. Well, the thing we see about Judas is that Judas never fully surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. And if you look at those, those references in Matthew 26, and in Matthew 26, it's the parallel passage again of this story where the disciples are sitting around and they're hearing Jesus say, somebody's going to betray me. And they say, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? But Judas doesn't say, Lord, is it I? He says, Master, is it I? And Judas is the guy, if you track him through the Scriptures, you find that he never calls Jesus Christ Lord. Master is the teacher. The Lord is the boss. He's the one who's in charge. And Judas never fully surrendered his heart to Jesus as his Lord. He just followed him as a student. He just got some information. He leveraged the deal. He, he made some money. Ultimately sorrowful, ultimately takes his own life. Money didn't do him any good, did it? It was an intellectual pursuit for Judas. That's what it was. It was not a heart surrender. And so these are the fakes. They start out well. They're among us. They're trusted. They don't finish well. They fall out. They pursue riches. They have no lasting fruit of evangelism or discipleship. That's who they are. Well, I want to shift because there's a lot better guys to look at in this story. And let's talk about the friends, okay? And the friends are going to be represented for us in this story by the Apostle John. Now, technically, all of the disciples are called his friends. If you flip over a couple of chapters into John 15, it says that very thing. You are all my friends, Jesus says to the remaining 11, okay? So technically, they're all called friends, okay? Just for you Bible literalists, I know that. But John is a close friend. John has a special relationship. There's just something that has John stand out from among the crowd of the remaining true disciples. John is the one who is called, in verse 23, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, we know Jesus loved all the disciples, right? He loved them all. But there's, this, this, is, this is spoken of in such a way that it's a very special love. It's a, it's a special affinity, and there's some reasons. First off, many of you are familiar with this. Maybe not everybody. There's three of the 12 that are kind of a special group that have some special insight to Jesus that the other nine did not have, and that's Peter, James, and John. And we know that as we look through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ because frequently they're the ones who are called out to do some things that the other guys didn't get a chance to do, okay? I mean, Jesus Christ spent a lot of his time traveling. They're walking, okay? And, and if you can only imagine walking with 12 of your best friends around you. And Jesus did a lot of teaching on the go and just, you know, referring to life and, and, and giving this insight. Now, you know, I'm just a real practical guy. And I'm thinking, if we're walking down the street, me and 12 of my best friends, okay, and I'm talking, how many of those 12 are really in close enough proximity to really get everything I'm saying? Maybe one or two or three? 
After that, it starts to get, I mean, unless, you know, I, I, my oldest child's going to go to college next year, and you go on these college tours, you know, and the, the tour guides are amazing. They can walk backwards and not trip over anything and talk really loud to a crowd of people. I don't see Jesus doing that, not that he couldn't, but I don't see that that's probably the way he handled it. He was probably just walking, and the guys who said, I'm getting close to him, I'm going to get close to him, were Peter, James, and John. They just, why were they chosen? Were they special? And of course not. The Bible says very clearly, God is no respecter of persons. They probably just wanted it more. Do you want it more? <laughs> they just said, wherever Jesus is, that's where I'm going, and I'm not riding in the back of the pack. I'm going to be right on his heels. I'm going to be right next to him. I'm going to be as close to him as I possibly can because I want it. That's Peter, James, and John. And so there's some th things that we see in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus that Peter, James, and John were the only ones who were a part of it. First, they, Jesus invites Peter, James, and John into the room where there's this ruler of the synagogue and his daughter had died and ultimately Jesus raised her from the dead. And only Peter, James, and John got to be there to witness that. A little further on in his ministry, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's, he's, he appears in his glorified form. And if you remember the story, Matthew 17 and other places, and, and, and it has Moses and Elijah there. Well, Peter, James, and John are there. Only Peter, James, and John are there. And, and the voice, the audible voice of God the Father from heaven, this is my beloved son, and, and, and Peter, love Peter, he, he, he looks at Jesus, and he's in the midst of this glorious you know, manifestation of Christ glorified Moses, Elijah, I mean, two witnesses that will ultimately appear again. I mean, these guys represent the law and the prophets and Christ the Lord. And Peter's there and he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> yeah, amen. But the other nine weren't there, right? And then ultimately, after this, Jesus will have one final prayer before his crucifixion and he invites Peter, James, and John in the garden to pray with them. They had some privilege. They, they, they were closer. Why? Well, like I said before, they probably just wanted it more. Jesus isn't casting anybody out. Jesus isn't picking people to say, you're the super spiritual ones. You got the extra gene. Uh, you get to be closer to me than somebody else. And if you think that, you're just not thinking right because God loves us all. He loves us all the same. But John stands out even among those three. So three, the, the three from the 12 are Peter, James, and John, but there's one of those three, and it's John alone. And the life of the Apostle John is just an amazing picture, and it's an amazing study, and, and there's just some things that we see associated with his life. The first thing is that John certainly had a special love for Jesus, and so Jesus had a special love for John. We see that played out in a bunch of different ways. John is the only disciple that follows Jesus Christ all the way to the cross. And if you were to look over in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 26, I referred to it earlier, it says in verse 56 that all the disciples forsook him and they fled as he was being arrested, as he was being beaten, and as he was being taken away to be crucified. But at the same time, at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 19 and verses 26 and 27, we see that John is there at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And regardless of the personal cost to John, regardless of the danger, regardless of the persecution and the difficulty that it might have occurred as a result of him standing with Mary right at the foot of the cross in the very last moments of Jesus' earthly life, he said, I'm going to go all the way to the end. I'm going all the way to the end. 
Peter's off denying him three times and the, guy, the other guys are watching from afar, but John went right to the end because he had that special love. John is extremely confident in his personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I referred to it earlier in Matthew 26, and it's also in Mark 14. When Jesus presents this idea that one of you will betray me, it says that the disciples went around the room, and they're all saying, Lord, is it I? We saw Judas said, Master, but they all said, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They all wondered, Lord, possibly could I be the one that would betray you? But John Ask the Lord not, is it I? John asks, who is it? Who is it? And, and, and with that statement, there's just this confidence. Lord, I don't know who it is that's going to betray you. I know it's not me. I don't know about these guys. Who? Who is it? Where all the others said, could, could I be the one? Is it possible that I could be the one? Just a hint of a doubt, maybe? Not for John. Very, very confident in his relationship. Listen, I don't know about you. Again, I, I said last week, this, this year marks 30 years for me that I've been saved. I'm so thankful for that. And in the course of my life and growth, a lot of funny things happen, you know? And uh, sometimes, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, it's happened to me and other people that I know, sometimes just weird circumstances, you know, and, and you wake up or you're somewhere and, and you go to call somebody, people in your family, you can't find them anywhere. And you're looking for your friends and you can't find them anywhere. And maybe it, it's past my, let me say it this way, it has crossed my mind at weird instances in my past where I couldn't find anybody I knew. And I was like, I wonder if the rapture happened. You ever thought that? Don't raise your hand. That happens, right? I mean, they're all gone. Man, I hope I didn't miss it. Well, we laugh about that, but you don't want to miss that, by the way. But you know, honestly, truly, we, some, back in college, I was only saved a little while, but I mean, I'm telling you, when, when the Lord saved me, and I'm, I'm not special, but just when he saved me, the change in my life was so dramatic. I knew, I knew he saved me. I mean, I just knew it. And I've never, I've never seriously doubted my salvation. I just never have. And I know that some people really do, and that's fine. I understand that sometimes it's a process, but for me, I just never did. And I would joke with my friends, and I would say, they would say, man, you know, I was wondering, I thought maybe the rapture happened. And I would joke with them, and I would say, just call me, dude. Because if I'm here, you're good. And I, <laughs> I was young. But the attitude, truly, the attitude, that's a true story. The attitude is sincere. There's no way the rapture's happening without me. It ain't happening. Because I know whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I, I believe, that's the way John felt. John's like, who is it, Lord? I don't, it ain't me. I don't know about these guys. <laughs> but it's not me. And, and that's just an amazing thing. And, and if we look at even the way that it played out, all right, y'all, I need four young men from this crowd right here to be volunteers. Four guys come forward right now. Four of you. There's nine of you want to, but the first four that get here, get here. Come on. All right, you ready? Line yourselves up right here. In fact, I want you to sit down on this step. Four of you, just sit down. All right, now, now what I want you to do is all kind of lay on your left elbow. Everybody lay on your left elbow. Kind of stretch out. Kick your feet out. 
Pretend like you're, yeah, just at home watching TV or something. Lay in, just kind of lay out. All right. Now, what's your name? Brett. Brett. You're Jesus. <laughs> James, you're Judas. <laughs> you are, your name? Noah. Noah, you are John. And you are? Jake. Jake, you are? Peter. All right. I don't know for sure. Okay. I'm guessing. So don't write this down. Just enjoy the illustration. In the culture they would have lived in, you know, they're not sitting at a table like we sit at tables. They probably were reclining. Okay. By the way, if you're not sitting and crunching your belly, it's easier to digest. Everything's just more comfy. You know, when they're eating, your mom says, don't lay on the floor when you eat. Well, Jesus did. Okay. Anyway, so... It's my opinion that this is how they were arranged, okay? And then the other guys went out from here. Because Jesus is talking, okay? And ultimately, Peter, and they're saying, one of you is going to betray me. And, and Peter doesn't ask Jesus. Peter asks John to ask Jesus. Did you see that? And, and by the way, it says, John was laying his head on the chest <laughs> of Jesus. Come on, John. Don't let us down. There you go. Thank you. And, and so it's interesting because, yes, physically by proximity, John is closer to Jesus. But even by lesson, John is closer to Jesus. And we believe that Judas was probably next to Jesus also because he turns and he gives him the sop. What is that? It's bread dunked in some juice, biscuits and gravy, okay? And, and he gave it to him. We, we sop up the gravy at Christmas, right? You sop up, that's what it is. And so he, he gives him the bread, and he's sitting right next to him, and he says to him, hey, what you got to do, you know, get her done. And so he was pro- Judas was probably sitting right next to Jesus on his left side, whereas John was on Jesus' right side. John is, by the way, we use the expression, he's my right-hand man. That's John. That's his position. He, had, he was resting on Jesus' chest. And Peter, in my estimation, I don't know exactly, was over this way because he refers to John to refer to Jesus. You see that? Thanks, guys. Sit down. Appreciate it. Give him a hand. As such, John, like I said, physically, yes, but spiritually connected more to Christ than anything else, laying his head, literally able to hear the very heartbeat of God. And because of this special relationship, because of this special friendship and connection that John had more than anybody else, John knew some things that nobody else knew. John knew some secrets. Listen, don't you tell your very closest friends some things that you don't tell other friends? Of course you do. Aren't there things that you trust to the very closest circle that you have that you don't trust to just everybody? It doesn't mean the others aren't your friends. You love them, but they're not that close. You can't trust them with everything. The whole book of the Revelation, that whole revelation of the end times and how it's going to play out was given to John. See? 
And it's very interesting with John. In fact, if you looked in the book of Revelation in chapter number 10, in verse number 4, there's an episode there that he's witnessing, and John's like, man, this is awesome. I've got to get this down. And the Lord says, wait, wait, wait. Don't write that. Don't write it. That's just for you. Everybody else don't need to know that. And you know that if you have a special relationship with the Lord and if you love him that much and if you're that devoted to him and if it means more to you than anything else to know him, that he'll share some stuff with you that maybe other guys just ain't getting. And that's not a pride thing. That's just a matter of I just love him and I'm devoted to him and I walk with him and I lean on his breast and I'm with him as much as I can and oh my goodness, and he recognizes it. And he shares stuff with me. Let's go back to our text in John 13 because I think that's exactly what's going on here. I think it answers the question about what's going on here in verses 25 and 26. It says, He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I'll give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said, What thou doest do quickly. Verse 28 is amazing. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Have you ever read that and wondered? Have you ever read that where he's like, Lord, who is it? The guy who I give the bread. Here, Judas. And then they're like, I don't get it. Have you ever wondered that? Come on. And it, I wondered it. I got, I got an explanation. I have, I don't, again, I don't know if this is actually the way it was. I, I have, this ought to be good enough for you. It's worth every penny you paid to get in here today. I have a plausible explanation. If you, if you consider how they were arranged, like I had them here, and, and kind of laying and whatever, and Peter, for whatever reason, we'll see in a second maybe why, but Peter doesn't talk directly to Jesus. He asks John. And John leans over and says to Jesus, Hey, who is it? And it says, Jesus said unto him, not unto them. It's the one who I give the bread to. And so maybe only John knew that Judas was the guy. Maybe only John was able to understand, because John, he said, okay, John, let me tell you. Maybe he whispered, I don't know. He's right here, you know. He's like, the one I'm going to give the bread to. And then he gives the bread to Judas. And the others are like, what's going on? That would make sense, would it not? Isn't it plausible? And it plays right into the fact, like we understand about John, is that he knew some secrets other guys didn't know. In other words, the closer you find yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the better understanding you'll have. I'm really sorry. This thing is driving me crazy, guys. It's really killing me. I know it's not your fault. the better chance you have of really understanding what's going on in the spiritual world. Some, some, some discernment. Listen, there's just some brothers who have better spiritual understanding. There's just some guys and gals who just have, who have a closer walk with the Lord and, and they can just see things that others can't see that's right in front of them because the Lord reveals it to them. And, and that's, that's a cool thing. That's what, that's what John had And as such, John pictures the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, his beloved, John. 
Now, if you study through the scriptures and, and it doesn't, the Bible doesn't go far enough into church history to record for us all the manners in which all these men died, although church history gives us some good evidence of how most all of the disciples were martyred for their faith, but John was not. And even in the scriptures in Revelation chapter number one, in verse number nine, it talks, John talks about how he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Okay, for his faith. So, so rather than John, there's no record. There's no record of John's death. Let me, let me try this one, all right? I don't know what number this is. Apologies. This clip's on backwards. All right, can you switch the mics and see if this one works? This says number four. Four? Can we get it? One, two, three. Can anybody hear me? I got them on. Hello? This can make for a great online sermon. <laughs> can you hear this one or is this dead? We're dead? We got nothing. All right, life is good. We're going back to the one that pops. All right, so d- endure with me. There's no record in the scripture of John's death. John is exiled to Patmos, okay? And, and his exile to Patmos, okay, what, what is exile? What, basically, in the pres- from the presence of all the others, he just disappeared. In, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, we have a picture or a type of the rapture of the church. Revelation 1, 2, and 3 talks about the church, the church, the church, the church, the church. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, heavens are open, there's a voice from heaven that says, come up hither, and then instantly I was in the presence of God in heaven, John says, picturing the church. Revelation 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 19, and it goes on, and you never hear about the church ever again. Why? Because the church is gone. Revelation 4, 1 is a picture of the rapture of the church, pictured by John, the one who is called up when the Lord opens the skies and says, come up hither. If you look at John chapter 21, near the end of this gospel, Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, again, referring to John, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is it that betrayeth thee? So Peter turns and he looks at, at John. He's, Peter, seeing him, saith unto Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man, John, do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come. In other words, if I want John to stay alive until I come back, what's that to you? <laughs> Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? John pictures the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with that special relationship that he has. And all I want to say to you is this concerning John and his example. Yeah, there's fakes, but there's friends. And it is possible for each and every one of us to have that kind of relationship. All you got to do is want it bad enough. And you say, I want it so bad. Well, it will translate into some decisions that you make and how you arrange your schedule and how you choose the things that you participate in or don't participate in and what you pursue in order to walk close to the Lord Jesus Christ. The last category that we have, and it won't take a lot of time, are followers. And the followers are represented by Peter, okay? They're represented by Peter. 
And, and, and this is the bulk of the rest of the disciples. Let's just put the other 10 in this category. And by the way, there's no problem with this category. They are friends of Jesus Christ. They are just not close friends, okay? So I put it this way. They're in the right crowd. They're pointed in the right direction. They're doing the right things. They're just not as close to Jesus as they could be, okay? These are people that get on the right ship and they go with the flow. And that's okay. Listen, they're not running away. They're not rejectors. They got on the right ship. But what you see is they're not really blazing a trail with or for the Lord. They just kind of get into the church, the body of Christ, and they just kind of do what everybody does. They just kind of go with the flow. And if everybody just kind of does this, then I just kind of do that. And they don't really pursue that personal interaction as much with the Lord. And, 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 and again, they're not running away. These are not bad people at all. It's the majority of people, okay? But I want to just point out one characteristic. These are people that consult one another to determine Jesus' will rather than asking Jesus himself. Pictured by Peter. Peter, John, ask the Lord who it is. Well, why don't you ask him? <laughs> you know? Why don't you ask him? And so, yeah, why did he ask John? Well, again, physical proximity. John was closer. Yeah, spiritual proximity, John was closer. Uh, these are people who are, they're good people. But they're like, hey, will you pray for me about this? Because you walk closer with the Lord than I do. And if somebody would ever, that doesn't happen that often, but if somebody were to do that to me, and sincerely, I would say, sure, of course, I'd be glad to pray for you as long as you will pray for you too. And I mean that because sometimes we just pawn stuff off on other people who walk with the Lord closer because we're just kind of going with the flow. And so I put it this way in your notes. Followers follow people and are weak in prayer. Because ultimately, isn't that what it is? Peter didn't talk to Jesus. He talked to John, and John talked to Jesus. In our context today, don't we frequently do this? We have decisions in front of us. We have important things that we have to determine what it is we think God might want for us. And so we take a poll. We talk to all our friends, and we say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And we're sincere. We want to know what the thing is. But maybe we ask everybody what they think and never really get around to just asking God. And just really ask God, just show me. Just pray and just be quiet and let him speak and listen and see how he impresses your heart and be faithful and read his word and pray that he will speak to you through his word as he's trying to reveal his heart. And so they're followers. In, in our church context, we have a couple of different opportunities for you to really connect with God in praying for real issues in your life. And one of those is our midweek life groups. And if you're not a part of that, I encourage you to do that because that's where we get down and, and talk and share the things that are going on in our lives and pray for one another and go directly to God on behalf of those things. And another thing is at 9 a.m. for the last year, we've been having a prayer uh, meeting at 9 a.m. in the library over here for the church. And you're welcome to join us. We're going to continue to do that, by the way. It's not greatly uh, attended. There's not a ton of people who find the time to show up at 9 o'clock and just pray. But I'm going to tell you something. If you want to see God do great things in your life, you're going to need to beg him to do them. God works through the prayers of his people, and that's what we need to see. It's critically important. I put a quote from Charles Spurgeon in your notes. I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this. 
the measure of the intensity of your prayer. And I'm just telling you, we are not going to see God do great things in our lives and in our church until we get serious about talking directly to Him about those things. And listen, talk to your friends. Get wise counsel. Encourage one another. Those are fine things. But at the end of the day, John was just closer. And that's available to you. That's available to you as well. Followers, without a doubt, will see God do some cool stuff because they're in the right crowd, man. They're hanging with the right people, and that's an awesome thing just by virtue of proximity. But that personal intimacy that John had is just kind of out there. It's, it's a little bit foreign to them because they just lack that personal interaction, and that personal interaction really is it's very simple. It's just love expressed. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I want to speak to you. And God will take you and he'll change you and he'll make you somebody you never thought you'd be intimately close with the Savior. Intimately close with him. We need to wrap this up. Let me just ask you to pray with me. If you'll just shut your Bibles, let's just just focus on the Lord for a second here and we're done. Of these three that we see pictured in this story, which one of them would you say is you? I mean, hopefully you're not the fake and nobody's trying to judge anybody, but let me just ask you a question. Do you have any lasting fruit in your life? Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and consider these things as we close this time. Do you have any fruit in your life?